Hello friends, thanks for tuning in. I have been off my vitamins for about a week, so I don't know how organized my thoughts are going to be in this podcast, so if you think I'm ADD before when I'm on my vitamins, just I'm going to need extra grace because I don't know where I'm going, but I know I have enough to talk about and record a podcast. And again, my mindset and my goal is there are things that are worth doing well and there are things that are just worth doing, doing poorly. And unfortunately, this podcast, if I were to try to do it well, I would just never record one at all. So it falls into the doing it poorly, just doing it category. So with that said, here's our topic for today. The difference between husbands and fathers. The big thesis statement that I want to discuss is that in my relationship with my husband, my husband needs things from me and I need things from him. So this is meant to be a reciprocal friendship where both people are giving and receiving and by which then we can model a husband and wife models to their children healthy relationships. That's how it's supposed to work. (laughs) Now, in contrast, a father to a daughter or a father to a son, when that child comes into the world, there is absolutely nothing that child can do for the parent. Nothing. Babies eat, sleep, poop, etc. Repeat. Ad infinitum. And eventually they talk, and then they sit up, and then they crawl, and then they waddle, and then they start talking, and then they want an Xbox. Well, maybe not quite that steep of a curve, but it's close. So when children come into the world, our natural expectations for our parents is that they will take care of us. Children are biochemically wired to think that the world resolves around them. This way, when we are disciplined, when something bad happens to us, we assume that it is a consequence for something we did wrong. That's the way God wired children to function until about eight or nine slash puberty. And I don't have the research for that because I'm in ADD mode and I just, I know it to be true. Go look it up for yourself on the internet. I definitely don't want to take that method all the time if it's really important. But in this case, I'm just going to do it. Um, What I will say is that there is a psychologist named Paul Hegstrom. And he is a Christian who has been through a lot of rough things. And he has done a lot of emotional healing. And he's done a lot of restoration and redemption with his wife, with his children, and his grandchildren. And they've worked through a lot of complex trauma. So, (laughs) he's the one that I've borrowed that information from, of children are designed, whenever something bad happens, we are wired to think of it as our fault. And, um... Psychologist Diane Langberg, who I've recently started listening to, um, she also said children are by nature narcissistic. We are we are made to think the world around, revolves around us. That's that's how we start. However, the Apostle Paul says, you know, I once thought like a child and behaved like a child, but now I'm giving up childish ways. I'm becoming a man. I'm becoming an adult, and. One of the things that's very important for emotional maturing is to realize I need to give up thinking that the world revolves around me. And unfortunately, (laughs) there there still are things about my nature that I'm having to realize do not revolve around me. So if you think you're immune to that process, then... You, I would warn you that you maybe have some pride going on. You need to reconsider um, your own room for growth. 
So I'm just going to put that out there nice and gently um, and say from my own experience, the more that I realize my own sin nature, the more desperate I am for Jesus and his mercy and forgiveness and grace and his awareness so that I can be a more mature, kind, loving individual, especially with my husband. Because if I do not love my husband, then do I really love anyone? Really? Mm. We're going to get to that. So back to this whole parent-child relationship. Um, Obviously, we're talking about father and I'm a girl, so daughters, but fathers and you know, parent and child, parent and child, um, we, as children, we expect our parents to care for us, to love us, to nurture us. Um, now that doesn't mean that a healthy parent doesn't challenge their child. There was a blog post I read, wish I could remember it. The daughter asked her mother, mom, why are you so hard on us? And the mom explained to her daughter and explained in this, in this blog post, I'm hard on you because reality is hard and life is hard. And if I'm not challenging you, then the odds are that you're going to end up, if I'm not challenging you in a situation where I know I can cushion you and the consequences are very, very small, then when you're out in the world as an adult, and you are facing similar challenges, you're not going to be ready for those, and the consequences are going to be a heck of a lot more painful. Now, the good news is that God is the perfect father, and he can, and he has, and he will make patchwork fathers and patchwork mothers. So, there are men and women who are not biologically related to me at all, but they have been stand-in parents for me throughout my life. So, in the way that we relate to God, (laughs) in the way that we relate to God, we are very much depending on Him. Our model and expectation for His character is dependent on our own earthly parents. Now, if you had parents who were less than ideal, that's really challenging. I didn't understand that God was merciful and gracious until about I was 29. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 29. So, um... So my my family erred on the side of truth and justice and um, blunt communication, and I'm I'm thankful for that because I'm a very sensitive person. So I learned to have my logical communication skills very challenged and very much developed, so that I can communicate and interact with blunt logical people successfully. Um, I'm very grateful to God for putting me in in a family that challenged and grew me in that way because it's second nature to me now and it's a lot easier to communicate with my husband because my husband is an INTP. He's very logical. He is very high emotional intelligence for um, for his personality type. However, he still has... A limited emotional capacity. And he would tell you that himself. So I'm not embarrassing him here at all. I'm just stating facts about our own personalities. As kind of a dramatization of of what I'm discussing. So. We are modeling our idea about God after our own parents. So. One of the hardest processes that I've experienced maturing, you know, I'm 31 now and I've, I've had many years of struggling to understand and relate to the world and relate to, okay, God, help me understand the way that the world works because this doesn't make sense to me. And this is 
angering and this is frustrating. Why is there sin? Why are different families like this? It's help me understand, help me understand um, the social ramifications of sin on our lives and the way that we interact and all those things. Like if you listen, if you listen to me for any amount of time, you know I'm very, very passionate for understanding how do we relate to God, how do we relate to people and friends and family. This is extremely important to me. So I struggled as a young adult understanding how am I supposed to relate to God, family, friends. And now that I'm 31, finally, um, I'm getting a better grip on it. Uh, I'll be studying this at the end of time. You know, what is my standard of expectation for how I love my neighbors, those around me. And one of the things I'm realizing, to tangent, one of the things I'm realizing recently is that my standard for how I love my acquaintances and my neighbors is higher in some ways than how I love my husband. Mm. Mm, yeah, so that's that's been that's been a current mental readjustment, um, and so I'm just gonna come out and say it. A lot of young women, myself included, we wanted to marry a man who would love us unconditionally who would be 100% emotionally supportive and understanding and tender and gentle. However, in many ways, we are setting our expectations for our mate, for our partner, that are based on what we did not receive from our father. Um, My father was not very tender. He was not very emotionally supportive. Um, there, there are a lot of things I'm sure he wished he'd, he'd done differently. And you know what? That, that was 10, 20 years ago. And you know, we're here now. What are we going to do with the here and the now? So my relationship to my heavenly father is very different from my relationship to anyone else in the entire universe. Here's why. I know... I'm going to get emotional here now. I know that I know that I know that he loves me. And that he... Not only does he love me, but he is 100%, 100, 100,000% committed to my good. Absolutely, he's going to allow circumstances into my life that challenge me and grow me. However, he's also gracious. He is understanding. He, as a heavenly father, he will still create and allow safe places for me to fail so I can learn my own character failings with minimal life-changing consequences. You know, the difference of a of one bounced check versus going into bankruptcy um, <laughs> you know, one bounce check, that's 30 bucks. Going into bankruptcy, that's on your permanent record. That's a heck of a lot more painful. So God, I know that not only do I know that God loves me, that his love is unconditional, that he is going to grow and challenge me in ways that are safe. And I use that word in big quote marks because his definition of safe is way different than ours. Our definition of safe looks like knee pads and elbow pads and helmets for a kid going out in rollerblades. God's definition of safe is um, rea- is is the reality that gravity is not going to change even though I'm going to fall and skin my knee because I need to learn how to interact with gravity. <laughs> That's God's definition of safe. So his definition of safe is falling and skinning my knee when I'm close to the ground, as opposed to, like, being on stilts or bungee jumping. You know, there's definitely times where we put ourselves in the position of, 
bungee jumping without proper, you know, without proper equipment in place so that we are unsafe. And if we fail, well, then we go squish or what have you. Um, goodness gracious, uh, this is an awkward podcast. Um, but Gagan's definition of safe, he creates opportunities for us to learn our own character with minimal long-term consequences, and then we get to grow from it. And his value in that, in allowing that circumstance, yes, he knows that, you know, the equivalent of skiving, skinning our knee or having a single bounce check is going to be painful, but he also knows that the resulting character development is way more valuable than than that skinned knee or that bounce check. So, with that in mind, I know that God loves me, I know that he's going to develop my character, and I also know that I can go to him with all my emotional needs. All of them. Did I mention I was off my vitamins? Yes, I did mention I was off my vitamins. That was a rhetorical question because I remembered saying it at the beginning of this podcast. I am totally off my vitamins, except for like, you know, a couple things that I'm taking individually. And let me tell you, last week was not fun. Rant time. Like, my anxiety's up, my obsession. Like, I was definitely OCD as a kid. I would walk through the kitchen and we had this, like, patterned geometric linoleum that was brown and beige and very uh, 80s, you know, because that's when the house was built, was in the 80s. Um, And I would avoid walking on particular, the the thick lines that were going uh, perpendicular to each other. You know, so I was definitely OCD as a kid, and I, I've lived with that, you know, my entire life, so I don't know any different, if that makes sense, but it was once I started my custom vitamins that I recognized my ability to let things go was so much easier. Oh my goodness. It was, it was life-changing. So... So my anxiety is up, my OCD is, you know, trying to come back and rear its head. I even had a moment of paranoia the other day where it was like, Ben and I took a a short walk and then we got, you know, we're within, we're within eyesight of our apartment complex. And Ben says, okay, I'm going to go walk this long leg and, you know, I'm, I'm tired. So I'm going to head back, me, Meg. And, you know, we, we hug and we kiss and we finish our conversation and he heads off to the long leg to get his 10,000 steps in for the day. And I head back to our apartment. And the thought grows through my head, am I ever going to see my husband again? Like, like a car could drive by and kidnap me and, like, yes, there is a statistical chance of that happening in broad daylight walking back on a main road to my apartment complex, but... That's not very likely, and I have my key on me, and I can stab a good dude in the throat if I need to, and I can scream at the top of my lungs and get attention. Like, the, it's not, like, I don't have a logical reason to be fearful in this moment. Therefore, that, that extreme thinking was paranoia, full-on paranoia, biochemically inspired, and I am not receiving that. This is me taking responsibility for my thoughts and also the thoughts that come into my head that, like, I'm, I'm not acknowledging as my own. Like, no, you get out. You get out. I'm not owning you. I'm not even trying to process you. I am just ignoring you because you are not logical. And I'm going to stay over here with my rational mind because I've been on my vitamins since December 9th, and it is now October 1st that I'm recording this podcast, and I know from those past uh, December, October, uh, October, November, from the past 10 months, I know, I know what is healthy thinking and what is not, because I've had a vacation from it for 10 glorious months. Of my, of my 31 years of life. And I fought it for all 30 years beforehand. Or 20 years if you want to, you know, chalk puberty in there. Because I started to be obsessive compulsive and have, consider suicide and those sort of things. And feel depressed around puberty age 14. So, you know, I've 
done this for 16 years of my life and I've had a break for 10 months and I know, I know what's me and what's not. And, and Martin Luther had that wonderful quote, you know, of crow can fly over your head, but you can keep it from land nesting in your hair. And me, I'm at the phase of life where if one crow flies over my head, I am shooting it. I am shooting it dead. Because used to, I was in the phase of life where I would have like a flock of crows attacking my head all at once because I was nutritionally depleted and my body was trying to shut down. Hot flashes at 28 are not normal, people. And I'm so over that now. So, now that we have that tangent nicely wrapped up, thank you for listening. Uh, Let's go back to me relating to my Heavenly Father. He knows all the stuff that's going on in my head. Ben does not have the emotional energy to help me process all of that stuff. Like, um, so far in, in this past week, we've, we've been okay. Um, you know, a little, little emotional at times, absolutely. But mostly emotional because we're thinking back to what we went through October of 2017. When my yeast levels were out of whack and I was having bad dreams that were fear-mongering, and definitely, definitely crow thought inspired of, like, no, you get out of here. My subconscious is being influenced by the, by the toxins released by the yeast in my gut. Therefore, I am not paying attention to you, bad dream. You are not worthy of analysis. You are not worthy of figuring... Oh my god, I had a bad dream that Chip and Joanna Gaines didn't like me, and it was... It was so traumatizing. Like, I love them. And their show helped me when I was suicidal in the summer of 2016. So that dream was like a full-on nightmare that I met Chip and Joanna Gaines and they didn't like me. It was horrible. And, like, I've listened to both of their audiobooks, uh, Capital Gaines and The Magnolia Story. And I know from listening to those books that, you know, depending on their time of day and the emotional resources, if... For some reason, at some point in the, you know, way out there future, we happened to, like, have coffee or lunch or that sort of thing. And not that they would, because people with their kinds of schedule would, like, they don't have emotional resources for that outside of their normal social circle. Like, they already know who those people are that they're emotionally invested in, and we, no one, no human has emotional resources that are infinite. I warned you I was tangenty today, so thank you for sticking with me. No one has emotional resources to connect with every single human being on the planet. I've tried. It's not, it's not realistic. Um, <laughs> so, but if Chip and Joe and I had coffee together, like, I know from listening to their audiobooks that they're not the kind of people to be dismissive. And that was what my nightmare was all about, was Chip and Joe just being completely dismissive. And, like, seriously? Yeah. So, anyways, the things that qualify as a nightmare in my book are a little bit, a little bit entertaining. I mean, def- don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I've had real nightmares, and they were a piece of work. But, God has the emotional resources for me in all of my states. And I've finally gotten to a place in my life where I am no longer afraid of the Bible. I've mentioned it before on this podcast. I have finally read the entire Bible back to back. It took me about a year to get through the book of Isaiah. Didn't understand it. Still don't understand the book of Hebrews. But I've read all those minor prophets. And I, not that I understand everything that was in them by any means, you know, the greatest Bible, biblical scholars in the world know how little they know about the Bible. Um, however, I know from reading God's word and I know from following him that I can trust his character. His character that I have experienced is consistent with how he presents himself in the Bible. And I have read all those minor prophets. And any time he talked about wrath and justice, it was in defense of his children. It was in protection of the righteous who were being unfairly treated. And it was in punishment for the blatantly willful, wicked people who were, who deserve the fire of hell, 
who deserve the wrath of God because they want nothing to do with him. I used to be afraid of reading the Bible to the point where, you know, I would just hug the Bible sometimes and fall asleep at night because I, I was just too darn scared to read it. And now I've gotten to the point where, yes, I listened to the audio Bible today because my brain power was just not in the mood for reading the Bible. But I read, I listened to the first chapter of James because God is taking me back there and encouraging me there. And um, he's been bringing that passage up to me in my heart. And so I know that I need to read the entire chapter to get a better sense of the context for what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to me. So... God has infinite emotions and he has scripture throughout all of that book that, you know, obviously it's not going, there's, there's, there are going to be days where you read the Bible, like when I read Isaiah or the book of Hebrews and I just don't understand what's going on, but there's also going to be days where, um, when I read John chapter six, now let me say, I've read the book of John a few times um, to the point where I read the same chapter for like a, two weeks at a time and then I would read the next chapter just because it was so good and I didn't want to leave the chapter I was in. And I felt that God was totally honored by me taking my time savoring and meditating on that scripture like that. So, you know, while it's very important to read the entire Bible, God also... God also celebrates, you know, our hunger for depth within specific passages of the Bible. You know, not to outbalance them, but just to go deeper. By outbalance, I mean not to say that one chapter is more important than another. I mean, obviously, I get more out of John, the book of John, than I do the genealogies in the book of Numbers. However, God still put that in the Bible. There's still a reason that that is in the Bible. And there's truth to be gleaned there for those who have the um, the scholarly fortitude to process it and get it into a palatable form. Numbers is kind of like the celery of the Bible, except most of it feels like celery stock that you can't break down. That's That's what the book of Numbers feels like. Whereas like, John is just like, the book of John is just like eating steak. Yes, you have to chew, but it's just like there's there's nourishment from every bite. Whereas Numbers is definitely the celery book of the Bible. That 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 might be a good picture to put on put on Facebook somewhere. Number yeah, I don't know. I'm the, mm, there, there's got to be a better way to phrase it, but we'll get there. So yes, there's different parts of the Bible that have different emotional quality, but they're all important. And yet with that, I have learned to trust God's character that, that there's a chapter in Ezekiel where he says, I found you as an abandoned baby on the side of the road, fresh in your blood. You know, this is a baby who's been born, um, and part of the evil Canaanite practices was that, um, you know, to appease the gods, you would have orgies and just go off and have sex, you know, to, you know, make sure the grain would grow. Let's have sex. That, because the enemy is demonic like that? Yeah, these things are related how? No, this is the enemy trying to destroy the family back in ancient Canaanite culture times. So you've got these horrible orgies going on and, you know, God the Father told, gave Moses the law and he also said, you know, don't be like the Canaanites. You know, their sin is not yet complete. Okay, now their sin is complete and now I need to go wipe them out, but don't be like them. And as we read the book of Joshua, Jen Wilcom did an amazing breakdown on that. Also, the book of Judges, she did an amazing breakdown on. As you read the book of Joshua and Judges, you see the Israelites slowly adopt more and more of the Canaanite behavior. 
And when you read the book of Judges and you're reading these stories of just like, ew, how is this okay? How are people even comfortable with this? It's because they have acclimated to the Canaanite culture as opposed to completely wiping them out in obedience to what the Lord told them to do. So when non-Christians get up in arms about, you know, God ordered genocide, well, yes, because those cultures were absolutely depraved. They were depraved beyond reasonable redemption. And God said, you know, their sin is fulfilled and I'm wiping them out. Period. And I want you to be obedient to wipe them out. Like, a lot of how God disciplines other nations is using other nations. He used Babylon and Assyria to discipline the Israelites. Hashtag awkward, but at the same time, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, you know, they're they're selling a, a girl or a boy, they're selling a girl or boy for a drink. Like, there's just... No respect for human life. There's no respect for dignity of male or female or women. Um, yeah, it's it's way awkward. And so that's, <laughs> that's what we don't want. And unfortunately, depending on the health or dysfunction of our families, we are coming from a family unit a family culture where certain things were accepted and normal and healthy. Well, I'm not, maybe I'm not going to say healthy there, but you know, certain things were accepted as normal that were actually completely dysfunctional. And so it takes time and it takes interacting with God and it takes interacting with other healthy human beings because God works through community. It takes time to learn what parts of the family that we grew up with was healthy and what parts were not healthy. And then learning to let go of, to learning to mourn the things that happened to us and learning to let go of the coping mechanisms that we develop because it is those coping mechanisms that self-sustain, um, I'll give you an example. Self-sustain the dysfunction. So when I got married to Ben, um, I came in with some debt. I've been in and out of debt before on my own. I would like to just say in my defense, but I came in with some debt. And I've always had a great deal of fear for budging because just finances was something that wasn't um, there were ways that my family set a really amazing model for me. I mean, they, my parents financially provided for me and my ability to dance would not be a thing without my father setting money aside for that. Um, so there was definitely, I have a lot to be thankful for, for both my parents, for how they fiscally supported it and provided for me. So, um, I, 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 I want to balance out more and more, you know, what my parents did do right. Um, and that was definitely one of the things that they did right. I mean, like just the, the fact that I have the privilege to dance, um, blows my mind, just blows my mind. Um, however, there were, there were, ways that they handled money on a day-to-day smaller scale basis that was less than healthy and so coming into my marriage with Ben I had a genuine fear of budgets and so one of the things one of the ways that my coping mechanisms exhibited themselves was buying finding um household goods at the grocery store and including it in the grocery purchase and not allocating it as a household good. So, to, no, like, like, let me let me get this straight. This is not a sin. This is definitely not a sin. I'm not stealing. Like, I'm being wise with our money. Don't don't get me wrong. 
However, um, because I was doing this, when I finally verbalized to Ben that I was doing this, he said, you know, this makes it difficult for me to trust you. Um, and my motivation for doing it in the first place would be, was because I didn't trust him because of how I'd seen finances modeled previously. And so as a young, as a young independent adult, I had kind of gotten to the place in life where I thought, you know what, no one else is going to make my future for me. I'm going to make it for myself. And that thinking was what got me into debt, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, There is some truth to it, but also it needs to be balanced out with, you know, figure out the best course of action and then save up for that and then, you know, spend your money after you've earned it. Kind of really basic stuff here. Um, So the day came, here here was... was, um, a really beautiful thing that happened. So I had saved a lot of my grocery receipts on the advice of comparing, um, of price comparison for, you know, how much is cheese here, how much is cheese there, etc. so forth. And a lot of my household purchases were on those receipts. And I was able to go through each one of them and go through back, you know, four months or so and reallocate a lot of those household purchases that were hidden in grocery over to household. And so now the dialogue is out in the open of, I would like a, a, a clock in our bedroom that doesn't tick because when I wake up, I, I want to know what time it is because I, I'm stay at home and I need that information, but also I don't want my phone in the bedroom because then I get on my phone and then I don't have and then that realigns my priorities for the day so it's really really important to me to have a clock in the bedroom I also want one on the porch but that's that's less important because there's less specifications there because I we need a silent non-ticking and I would prefer analog clock for the bedroom we could go digital but that's 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 part of our conversation that that's part of our ongoing conversation and by the time we but at the time this podcast goes out, we'll probably have this resolved. So don't you even worry about it. Just, but I mean, you, you, you know how to pray going forward. Like, you know, household budget versus grocery versus restaurant. That's kind of our quasi moto. These three items. Also the entertainment vacation category are kind of like, eh, eh. health and wellness, massage, chiropractic. Eh. Yeah. So that's, uh, That's that's what we're figuring out. Um, and so, because of Ben's consistency of character in this past uh, year of marriage, you know, 13 months now, um, I was able to say, okay, I feel safe enough that I can finally let go of this coping mechanism. And it was a beautiful day when I said, Ben... I've looked at the household budget and I see that it is currently in the negative. However, I would like to buy myself a new cell phone case. And this is a high priority for me. However, I understand that I will need to wait until there is a positive amount in the household budget. Now, I've started using my old cell phone case and I put my and I found curtains on sale that I've bought before then, since then, before I've, you know, I've not bought another phone case, but verbalizing my need in a way that he could respect was a breakthrough for me. And this is absolutely related to how I relate to him versus how I relate to my heavenly father or even my earthly father, because God knows what we need before we ask. And he's also very gracious with our maturity or lack thereof in how we ask. However, my husband has a higher standard because of, because we are in a reciprocal earthly relationship. My husband has a higher standard for my communication with him than God does for my communication with him. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Let me, let me rephrase that a little bit. 
because of my husband's finite knowledge of me as a human being, he needs more information from me in explaining to him what I need than God does. (laughs) Because God knows my DNA. God knows. God is able to identify the crows circling and trying to attack my head long before I do. He knows the origins of all of my coping mechanisms. He knows the wounds that happened and the traumas that I experienced before I was five years old that I don't even remember. You know, we start imprinting as human beings as soon as we exit the womb. We start imitating the behaviors of those around us. So, he knows the origin of all of my behaviors. You know, person, you know, nature versus nurture, he knows both of them. What is genetic, what is situational. Um, He knows how my genetics have been influenced by the food and diet and behavior of those who came before me. What we eat affects our grandchildren. And you can, and I have that on good authority from Dr. Ben Lynch of Seeking Health. And he has a great YouTube channel out there. So, uh. Yeah, Um, I got my DNA test from him, and it was definitely useful. So, um, although I'm on custom vitamin blends from Ensign Medical, and that is who I'm working with, except that I have extenuating circumstances, and I'm currently not on their vitamins because of extenuating circumstances. It's complicated. So, um... God has infinite motions. My husband does not. God does not need for me to do anything to him to change how much he loves me. Yes, I show my love for him in how I obey him, but that doesn't change how he loves me. Does that make sense? Even if excuse me, even when I fail, he knows my heart behind that and he's able to redeem it and he's able to show me grace. My husband, on the other hand, he and I are equals. And I would like to say that Ben definitely has the the final decision-making authority in our relationship. So in a healthy business model, there is a partner who has 51% and there's a partner that has 49%. And I think this needs to be applied to marriage a lot because while I absolutely agree with the egalitarian equality of both genders, there's also a, on a functional level, you need someone who is the final decision maker. And so that's where the complementarian mentality comes into play and the complementarians get it right in that you know this gender is generally better at this and this gender is generally better at this but most of all what complementarians get right is that men need to have the ultimate decision-making authority in their relationship of their marriage before god that is a higher accountability that is a higher responsibility and then therefore there are some privileges that come along with that responsibility So that is the 51% of the man's decision-making. With both of those mindsets explained, I would like to say that the healthiest complementarian marriages listen to their wives on a regular basis. Very regularly. And the healthiest complementarian marriages... Excuse me, that's the healthiest complementarian marriage where the husband listens to the wife before he makes his decision. Because that is about being gracious and Jesus says, you know, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. So husbands who use their authority for saying, you owe me X or you owe me Y, they're not following the biblical model for Christian leadership. And that is, and especially if they say, you know, the Bible says such and such, I'm owed this. That is spiritual abuse. 
So with that said, I would like to go over to the egalitarian marriages and say that the healthiest in my very finite knowledge of the universe, I would like to make the assumption with the possibility that I am completely wrong here, I would like to make the assumption that the healthiest egalitarian marriages are the ones where the woman lets the husband have that extra 1% of decision-making authority and respects him for it. So now that I've got that verbalized for all of our benefit, um... There are things that I expect of my husband based on his being my husband. There are things that he expects of me being his wife, you know. And so we're working through the very traditional elements of um, housekeeping. And Ben has very graciously taken over the responsibility of vacuuming. Because I'm better at the smaller detail of cooking, and eh, that's a very large detail, but I'm better at cooking. I'm better at detail cleaning versus big strokes of, I just need to dust this thing so it doesn't look like crap. I, my brain doesn't work like that. I, I read an article today that said ADHD people need house cleaning help, and I was like, thank you. And I emailed it to Ben, because that's, that's what I do. I, when I see stuff that helps explain how I function, I email it to my husband, so then he can help understand how I function, and vice versa. He sends me stuff, so I can help understand how he functions. And <laughs> I, 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 I love him so much, and I've never been more grateful to be married to him. Um, but he will be the first to tell you, and we've talked about this, you know, the Bible tells men to live with their wives with understanding. Well, he's still working on the living with part, and maybe eventually he'll get to the understanding me part. So, you know, if you think we have this marriage thing all together, I'm just gonna tell you, we, we don't, and, but, but we know we're on the right track, so we're really pretty grateful about that, thanks to lots of advice from lots of other people who've been married lots longer than we have. So what it boils down to in the difference between my relationship with my heavenly father and relationship with my husband is expectations. Realistic expectations based on character. You know, God's knowledge of me is infinite. He knows more about me than I will ever know about myself. My husband's knowledge of me is significantly smaller. (laughs) Um... And so my expectation for God to understand me is way higher than my expectation for my husband. That's healthy. Learning to lower my expectations for my husband's ability to understand me, which as we just discussed is kind of difficult. Um, <laughs> well, I'm female. Yay, I'm complicated. If there's a woman on the planet who's not complicated, then I... All humans are complicated. Let's just let's just stay there. So, um, before I say something that's going to put my foot in my mouth, um, you know, my husband's ability to understand me and my expectation for his ability to understand me way, way smaller. For example, um, last night we were having our weekly review where we discuss our priorities and our agenda and like I got to get this task done and I got to get this task done and oh, this thing's been on my mind. I should write this down and make this a a getting things done project so that it comes into our queue that we keep track of. We do that. We try to do that weekly, and sometimes I don't, but Ben's pretty good about it. So um, we were doing our weekly review last night, weekly-ish review last night, and Ben emphasized, you know, this thing needs to be a higher priority for you than this thing. And he could tell that that rubbed me the wrong way. And he asked me, did that, did I hurt your feelings? And I said, well, you emphasized that this thing was more important than this thing to me when in my heart, they're equal. And in fact, this other thing is actually higher, even though it's, you know, it's, it's doesn't have the same, um, return. Um, so, 
what you said evidences that you don't understand my priorities. And my feelings are not hurt by that because you simply just don't understand my priorities. My dear listener, can I tell you something? I would not have been able to make that distinction five years ago. Heaven forbid, ten years ago, I would have been a weeping mess. Are you kidding me? Whereas now, at age 31, I can say, you know, you just don't understand my priorities. And I'm not offended by that. Like, that says a lot about, excuse me while I talk about myself, that says a lot about how far I've come in understanding who I am and my own self-worth. That I'm not threatened by my husband's not understanding my priorities. And these are things that are deep in my heart, have been for years, not going away. So, um, <laughs> like, like I said before, we're, we're working on living with understanding. We're working on living, and then once we get farther along with that, we'll, we'll work on the understanding part. Um, and, you know, we've, we've made a lot of progress on living together as far as, like, organizing our stuff, purging stuff we don't need, and, and you know, we figured out a meal app, and we're cooking from home more, so we're making huge strides on the living with each other part, and, you know, the living with understanding, that's just going to come when it comes, and you can't fake a marriage of 50 years that, that's healthy. <laughs> you, you can't fake that. Um, I remember selling shoes to a couple once, and obviously very unhealthy, and the woman was explaining something about her body and her shoe needs to her husband who was sitting there and he was completely oblivious about this factual thing about her needs so that tells you how much they're not learning or understanding or caring about each other that that they're not aware about each other um and the the happy ending to that particular interaction was that I knew which shoe she needed. It was the more expensive one, obviously. Um, I sold comfort shoes, and, you know, you, in a lot of cases, you get what you pay for. There's obviously ripoffs out there, but a lot of times you get what you pay for. Um, and so I, I held the shoe that she needed in my hand so it was physically visible during their conversation because I knew if I butted in, that's, that's like the old proverb of don't grab a dog by the ears because you don't, you don't touch that. Just don't touch that with a 10-foot pole. That's our current modern figure of speech for don't grab a dog by the ears. Don't touch that with a 10-foot pole. So I'm not touching that dog with a 10-foot pole. And I'm holding that shoe out to physically remind that woman that this is the shoe that she is going to need. And by the grace of God, somehow they bought that shoe. That pair of shoes. And went on their way. Now the sad story is I don't know if their relationship got any healthier. But that's nothing I have any influence over. So um, all, all I can do is pray. And m most of life, many things that I see, all I can do is pray. And it's it's kind of excruciating. I'm, to be perfectly honest. Um, when I see young women who are boy crazy and... You know, I can think of quite a few um, who may be listening to this podcast. And I want you to know, sister, I have been there. I have been completely delusional. So what I'm going to say, don't think of me, don't think of me saying this to you. Think of me saying this to 17-year-old me. <laughs> oh boy, dad. That, that was awkward right there. That was so awkward. Oh my gosh. That 17-year-old Maggie Moo. Oh, that, that was painful. So painful. Oh my gosh. So what I would say to 17-year-old me is... You need to pursue Jesus with everything you have in you. Even if that means reading, holding your Bible... Just clutching it. Even if that means listening to the audio Bible. Um, show up to church. Show up to Bible study. Don't be afraid to hang out with healthy people. B 
because if they make you uncomfortable, that means that they have a different definition of normal, and you need to learn that definition. Um, there will be a season of life where you are completely delusional about this camp counselor for like over three years, and God is going to be really patient with you as you go through that. And when you finally come to, you're going to realize that you were delusional and you're going to say, wow, I'm really glad that God never let me have a boyfriend during that phase because I would have totally screwed the whole thing up. Or if you who are listening to me, you have had a boyfriend during that phase, let me tell you something. God is going to help you to learn and understand from that experience. And yeah, it's going to be painful. Um... But he's not going to let it go to waste. And I promise you that. He is not going to let it go to waste. So. To continue what I would tell 17 year old me. um, One day. More things about life are going to make sense. One day. I. I'm not going to get angry all the time. Which, like, that's, that's, that's really nice, not gonna lie, um, to have processed my anger and processed my sadness and, you know, keep pressing into God and trusting that that day is coming because he can't reveal everything to you all at once. I mean, we want emotional healing all at once because we're just, we're going through excruciating pain, legitimately so, because dysfunctional families are excruciating. Um, But God has to do that slowly. And you have to learn one piece of truth at a time in order to be ready for the next piece of truth. And there are things that are going to come down the Holy Spirit pipeline that are going to be very pointed and very direct In communicating, you need to change your behavior. You need to change your thinking. You need to change your behavior even though you don't understand why. And a lot of times, one of the reasons that God... One of the reasons that he gives us so much credit for obeying without understanding is because if we can keep our... If we can keep our behavior in the holding pattern of, I know this is the right thing to do, but I don't know why. In time, we will be in the right place for him to show us the why and explain the why. And then, this is the beautiful part. And then when his why gets through our brain into our heart, we're able to maintain that behavior from a place of natural I want to obey you because I know why and now this is part of my character this is part of who I have trained myself to be this is part of the neuron pathways that I have through obedience forged in my brain so that this is my new default behavior and now God can start, now that that area, that, that tiny little segment of area of understanding that the world is not about me and understanding that it is really all about Christ and that he really is enough and everything, that's a really big part of it. That's kind of all of it. But understanding how that applies to the tiny little area that I was dealing with in that moment, now that that is more understood and more part of my default character, Now he can start to stretch me somewhere else. Now he can start to heal me in another area and bring this interaction with this person to the surface where I knew that bothered me, but I didn't know why. And now he's making it fresh and real. And why is this bothering me? Oh, it's because of this. And I'll happen across a podcast or I'll happen across a YouTube video or a book that'll help me understand why. And there'll be that one sentence in there that is like the key that unlocks that tiny little knot. 
the more that God unlocks, you know, this knot here and this knot here, and then he gets closer into the center, like, okay, time to, you know, these four knots I undid over the past however many years. Now that those four items are untangled, now I can go to this deeper knot that was the root between those four. And when that knot gets untangled, whoo boy, we can go deeper. And, and, and every time God heals something in my heart, I become a more calm, peaceful, stable individual. I'm more at peace with who he is, how he's made the world. Justice is coming. His mercy is there for those who love and obey him. And like, oh, his blood truly does cover all of my sin. I would be lost without the gospel. It all comes back to the gospel. He forgives every sin that I do knowingly and unknowingly. Like that. Oh. Uh. <sighs> I have so many feels about that. In case you didn't hear the last sound effect. So many feels about his forgiveness for all the things that I do knowingly and unknowingly. And he knows all the things that got me to where I am. He knows the dysfunctional, st he knows all the stuff. I'm repeating myself and I'm not ashamed to say it. Because it's really important. So, I know I've talked a lot about, a lot more than just husbands and fathers. And I feel like there's more to talk about, but I don't know what it is right now. So that's my cue to wrap up this podcast. My name is Meg. I love my Jesus. And I believe in living inside out. Thank you so much for listening. It is now your turn. Go and live it.